Hi, and welcome to Inspiration Lab, a podcast shining a spotlight on leaders, creators, and organizations that continue to motivate and inspire us in the world of human resources, entrepreneurship, and hospitality. I'm Memrita Bala, founder and managing director of AB Consulting, an HR consultancy where we work with our clients to find unique approaches to human resources engagement, as well as strengthen leadership capabilities. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Isabel DeCairis for our latest Q&A. Over the last few months, we've spoken with hospitality leaders to discuss the impact of this pandemic on people and operations. We felt it was critical to focus on the financial outlook as much of the hospitality sector moved towards recovery. Isabel is a director in investment banking at CIBC First Caribbean International Bank. With a presence in 16 territories, over the last three years, the investment banking team has led over $3 billion US in various financing and advisory mandates. Isabel and I also take some time to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on women in business. Hi, I'm Enrita from AB Consulting, and today I have the pleasure of hosting Isabel DeCairis for our latest Q&A. Over the last few months, we've spoken with hospitality leaders to discuss the impact of this pandemic on people and operations. We felt it was critical to focus on the financial outlook as much of the hospitality sector moves towards recovery. Isabel is a director in investment banking at CIBC First Caribbean International Bank. With a presence in 16 territories, over the last three years, the investment banking team has led over $3 billion US in both financing and advisory mandates. Isabella is responsible for the regional coverage of the bank's top tier corporate clients and she provides both transaction support on a wide range of financing and advisory mandates. Hey Isabel, it's great to see you. So can you believe the last time we saw each other was at Chico's in Jamaica literally a year ago? Um, and who knew this is where the world would end up? Um, it's so crazy. Anyways, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. And you're right, when you reflect back on conferences, even in the context of what we've been seeing in the last few months, um, it's really amazing that we're talking about something that happened less than a year ago and, and having such a large gathering. Well, it's certainly been a difficult few months for the Caribbean region and struggling financial markets. You know, as we come out of this crisis, what does the path to recovery look like as it relates to structural reforms, you know, managing debt, liquidity, and, um, you know, what, what efforts is First Caribbean Bank um, making to support hospitality and tourism in the region? Well, I think, you know, as everyone knows, the region in itself is just so heavily dependent on its source tourism market. So predominantly, that's going to be North America and Europe. And, and as we continue to see, certainly in the course of the last week, um, with some of the challenges being faced and, and the lockdown of, of UK um, being entered into in the next couple of days, it really just goes to show how fluid the situation um, continues to be. And, and the pressure that then puts on governments throughout the region with their own protocols and amendments that they need to make. And so it's within that context that you think of, you know, hoteliers and resort operators and the challenges that they have in operating within an ever-changing landscape that really is for 
a lot of it outside of their control. Mm -hmm. And so to really help with that, I think a key, you know, feature that you mentioned really is having sufficient liquidity. And, and particularly for those um, resorts who have, you know, opened with the expectation of a, a UK winter, um, you know, clientele coming and now just seeing how that's going to adjust with what's happening. And, and so really for us as an organization, you know, very early on, we came out with a six-month moratorium on both principal and interest mm-hmm. um, for all eligible clients across our portfolio. And what we've seen as that those moratoriums have ended or are starting to end, we're working with our clients in providing extensions where we think that they are required or where you know the clients um, are needed. Um, But in addition to that, we've also had to look at, you know, operating lines, you know, providing access to otherwise restricted cash reserves and and really providing also covenant um, waivers so that our clients can really focus their efforts on their own protocols, their own scenario analysis and ensuring that they're making the right decisions for their business as we move into 2021. And, and that's really, you know, we, we really try and, and see ourselves as partners of our clients um, in working with them as we try and, and see, you know, the extent to which we're going to see a true recovery. Thanks, Isabel. I couldn't agree with you more. I think the element of partnership is so important here, especially as you, you know, really need to think about a long-term outlook with those client relationships. Are you seeing more hospitality investment or development activity in certain areas of the Caribbean? I think overall, there continues to be investor demand for the region as a whole. And we're seeing that in two ways. So one is on the development side. And coming into the pandemic, you know, we had a large pipeline of projects that we were looking to finance. Those projects have not uh, gone away, but investors are at this this point just taking the opportunity to reflect, look at their business models and, and, and perhaps making some revisions. But we don't see them, as I said, going away indefinitely and the more that they're just been put on hold or, or delayed. That said, we're still also seeing um, construction commencing for a couple projects in the region um, where investors are have said, you know, by the time the construction finishes, we think that we're going to be 2023 and, and the region would have largely recovered. And so particularly for projects that have that type of trajectory in their construction window, then they still are confident enough that the region will recover. And I think we were all saying that they will, there will be a recovery and aligning their opening dates to that point. Um, but we've also seen on the acquisition side. So early on into the pandemic, we saw the trading of two resorts in, in um, Jamaica, and we're continuing to see more activity um, in that space, which again, just points to the fact that there is you know, capital available for the region and for strong projects. It's actually quite interesting. So we're we're having opportunities come across our desk on a wide range of, of different, from Cayman to uh, Jamaica, Grenada, 
um, St. Kitts. And I mean, it's really right across our, our portfolio. I think what's important for us from the lending perspective is in light of the uncertainty over the course of the next few years is understanding overall what makes up the capital stack um, of the project, the experience of the developer, um, their track record, and their ability to support the project to the extent that the recovery doesn't happen in the way that they're currently envisaging. And so for, again, you know, well-capitalized projects that for sponsors that have the experience, then we're still very happy to look at those projects on a select basis. I think that that's, the, I think that's what's been so difficult about, about this pandemic is that your reference points are constantly changing because everyone's still trying to grapple with at what stage, you know, there's going to be um, this, you know, recovery. Uh, but the good news is, is that consumer demand is, is there and it just needs to align itself with, you know, the government's protocols and making sure that, you know, to the extent that they're balancing also the safety of their people um, and, and various other um, environments that are happening, as I said, in the source markets. But the region as a whole, I think, has managed our caseloads, you know, well below the global average, which I think is a testament to, to the governments across the region. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, many jurisdictions are doing a fantastic job of reopening and establishing strong testing protocols. You know, I was in Bermuda recently and was so impressed um, with their testing protocols and everything that they've done to bring around, you know, tourism recovery. So Isabel, we love seeing women succeed and in traditionally male-dominated industries such as finance. You know, you're so well-regarded and well-respected in the community. And I wanted to know more about um, how did you start your career? You know, what, what made you decide on this path to finance and what do you love most about your role? So I actually uh, started my career as a chartered accountant, um, but had always aspired to a, a career in um, finance or, or banking. And so when I was really looking to transition out of accounting into banking, I reached out to my network, um, more specifically to a woman that I worked with when I was interning, um, who was now at First Caribbean. And it was on her recommendation uh, that I applied for the, the, the analyst position in investment banking. Mm -hmm. um, and 10 years later, <laughs> um, I've just been so fortunate to continue to work with such a great team um, and, you know, the diversity of the transactions we do, uh, which is about a billion dollars a year, always continues to, to keep, you know, the interest. And it's just been tremendously rewarding to have worked with our clients and supporting their growth and development um, over my time at the bank that honestly, I just, I couldn't think of a, of a better I job. think um, one of the things for me that I think has been so impactful is really kind of broadening my network. And, and, you know, as I said, in the example of how I got this role today, um, and it's just it, in, in order to better understand the industries that we're in, um, but also to find opportunities, I think it helps to look outside of just your initial comfort zone. Um, and that just kind of takes me to the second piece, which I think is so critical in is having the confidence. 
um, you know, particularly as a woman, and as you said, as you know, more of a male-dominated uh, uh, industry, it sometimes can feel intimidating to walk into a room where you are a minority. Um, but reaching beyond that point, you know, every professional woman I imagine has got at least a few anecdotes up their sleeve of, of periods of discomfort. Um, but it's moving beyond that and having the confidence in your abilities that you can really progress and drive your own career. And then I have to say, I have been tremendously fortunate to work for such a progressive organization, um, currently spearheaded by a woman um, who actually, when she joined the bank, um, started um, the Women's Network at First Caribbean, again, providing opportunity for women within the bank in senior positions to leverage um, their networks within um, the bank and, and also externally. And the bank itself also has the ability, or at least I believe, um, working uh, with this organization allows me to have the type of balance that I'd like to have as a professional, um, but also, you know, to with my family. And so I think that that's really helped in, in supporting my career and my progression over the last 10 years. So Isabel, we're seeing and, you know, we're hearing and we're reading a lot around the effect of this pandemic on women, especially as they juggle multiple roles. The UN has commented about both the economic and social fallout um, for women as a result of this pandemic. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about what you've observed or, or even experienced in this realm, you know, as a successful female executive that has to manage both home life and work. All right, well, well, let's start by saying that that period of lockdown for any working parents, horrendous. I don't think parents clearly were set up to work full-time roles and also, you know, homeschool their, their children. Um, so as you know, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. So my very specific example is uh, my husband and I really just split our household responsibilities. Um, and I'm fortunate that I have a progressive husband who <laughs> acknowledges that, yes, we all need to kind of be in this together to make this work. So my husband was actually the homeschooling champion with my daughter. Um, and I had the um, monumental task of, of trying to ensure my two-year-old um, didn't kill himself. So it's, it, it worked for us. But it's an interesting question um, as it relates to generally, because I think that society has been set up that organizations sometimes look at providing more leniency to women in allowing them to have more flexibility than they do with men. Mm -hmm. And what I think is important is for organizations and the wider society to look at parenting equally and therefore giving not only equal um, responsibility or expecting equal responsibility, but also e giving equal flexibility um, and respect. And so that it is a joint and shared responsibility that parents have to collectively look at the best way to manage their house. That's so great to hear. And congratulations you know, to First Caribbean on really recognizing the importance of that balance piece, which is so critical for women. I think that that really truly differentiates employers. Seeing a lot of in the press with the impact that the pandemic is having very specifically on working mothers. And, and that's where I think that, again, I'm fortunate and um, that that hasn't been 
Uh, I, I wouldn't say that it hasn't been a burden. I think any parent is having the burden, but it is certainly one that I share with my husband and one that I would like to see coming out of this pandemic, a more shared view of parental responsibilities, both mm -hmm. from a societal perspective and an organizational perspective. Um, Thank you. I love that. And kudos to your husband. It looks like you found a way and it worked. I completely agree with you on homeschooling. It was a bit of a gong show for me. Um, I like to think of it as a failed experiment. You know, at least we tried. So once life gets back to normal, and we all hope that soon, um, what destination are you most excited to visit? Sure. You know, I, I have to say, I love, you know, with the platforms like Zoom and Teams and being able to connect virtually to, to our, our, our clients and the wider industry, but I really miss that in-person connection um, that we are used to. Um, and it's really hard, um, as I said, we, you know, we're in 60 clients in 16 territories um, to pick one, but having just closed a deal in the Turks and Caicos last week, I have to say that that would be very high on my list um, of where I'm looking forward, um, particularly as it's a new relationship to the bank and at least be able to have a celebratory dinner. <laughs> Thank you, Isabel. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and congrats on your amazing journey. I look forward to seeing you soon, hopefully somewhere in the Caribbean. Um, in the meantime, please keep well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again, Amrijan. Have a great day. Great. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inspiration Lab. If you found value in today's episode, please follow us on your listening platform. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And don't forget to follow us on social on Instagram at a.bconsulting. Drop us a DM. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on any future podcasts. See you next time.